Hello everyone, welcome back to So Tell Me. I have a very special guest with me today. I mean, I feel like all my guests are special, but this one in particular is pretty good. Um, so tell me, who are you and how do we know each other? I'm Chi Chi, Kim's one and only best friend. We met on our applicant day before we'd even started uni at Surrey. So this year it's going on four years since we've known each other. I don't even know what situation it was on the applicant day that we met. We, did we eat lunch together? It's or? because there was all that food um, like placed around. And if I'd known you were the picky eater then that I knew now, I don't know. It was just, it was just weird to me thinking back now that we met over food. But it's because there was nowhere to eat. And so we were both looking into rooms, not, sh- not knowing whether that was a thing we were allowed to do. And you just, yeah, let's go sit there and then we just start chatting with me, you and your nan. My nan, honestly, the best, the best companion for this adventure that we had. And did we go to a lecture? We went to a lecture, didn't we? We did. I don't know. The lecture was after lunch with one of our now favourite lecturers. I think Mm -hmm. our tutor's lecture was before and then lunch and then the other lecture was after. Yeah, yeah. And they ditched us, and we had to find our way back round campus. Oh yeah, didn't we go to the toilet? And they were like, we'll meet you. And then we were like, okay. And we went to the toilet, and they were gone. Disappeared. Actually rude. Yeah, I I vividly remember walking past the library and being certain that we'd already walked past the library. But I, with the confidence that I always have, was like, <laughs> nope, I know where we're going. And somehow we made it back to AP. We did. We did. And to think now, and especially during first year too, we explored so much. Every corner that we could have. To think now that we would be able to get lost on campus is impossible to think about. I think they just had a lot of pieces that looked very similar. Mm. So the bit in front of the library looked quite similar to the bit on the other side that was leading towards Rubik's and Starbucks. The yellow brick with the blue barriers did look quite similar to each other. Yeah, and, like, Senate House isn't, even though it's meant to be, like, the centre of campus, it isn't really, like, a pinnacle. It's just kind of there. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to find other things from Senate House. Right, exactly. Although the lakes are pretty good landmarks, but you don't really want to have to walk all the way around the edge. Yeah, if you can walk around the edge, you can recognise everything. It's the issue of always walking around the edge and then going through the middle and being unfamiliar. Yeah, especially because there's all those little, like, avenues and, like, cut-throughs and all that kind of stuff but I really enjoyed it when we went to the very top of that building that we thought we weren't supposed to be in the one above the lawn that was great (laughs) I don't know why we thought we weren't allowed to be there but it's because there was a lot of passes and I guess our our building was Mm. only pass entry only yeah that's true although I think was that when we were trying to find the light bridge yeah yeah because we wanted to go on the top level of the light bridge did we manage it? Yeah, we had to go through the maths department, do you remember? And there was like all those yes. weird posters and we were like, hmm, not sure if we should be here. I mean, if you don't know anything about University of Surrey campus, Google the light bridge and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. When was that? Was that first year or second year? That was, I think that was first year. So you lived very far away during first year. Extraordinarily far away to campus. Yeah, and I lived on campus. Manor Park wasn't the worst, like it was an easy walk, mm-hmm. it just, they always advertised it as like, oh, 10, 15 minute walk, it was closer to 20, right. and that's only if you were the side closer to reception, Which and um, of course Manor Park is quite the big area, I was kind of in the centre, I wasn't on the far edge, but even that added quite a bit of distance. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a cut through that made the journey shorter. And then when they started doing additional building, you had to go the long way around regardless. Yeah. It was either go down past the winding road of the sports park or across past reception and down, both of which made your journey longer. Yeah. But Man Park's actual like area was really pretty. They had that lake. It was. Had, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I think after the first, I, I was walking and then somebody told me that the bus was a pound, and I was like, oh, that's not that much. And then after about four weeks, I bought a bus pass. Oh, yeah. But that made sense for nights out and stuff, too. Yeah, definitely. Nights out, which just ended up being nights at yours. <laughs> right. 
Because that definitely became a thing very quickly, was that you would just stay at mine. I think it was after I invited you to my birthday at Pop World, and then I was going to go back to Manor Park, but then there was no buses and they didn't want to get an Uber. They are like, just stay at mine. And I was like, oh, don't know why I didn't think of that. And then after that, you couldn't stop me. Well, that was the one and only night that you slept on the floor. Very true. The rest of the nights were like, no, we're topping and toeing it, move <laughs> over. Even though my bed was horrifically uncomfortable, all campus beds are horrifically uncomfortable. Although, if you you, you can get a new mattress, I did tell you this. That's true. Well, not now. You, or not now, you should have done it at the start of the year. You complain about your mattress and they just bring you a new one. It might not may not fit on the bed, but it's a new mattress. <laughs> I feel like that sums sorry up, to be fair. <laughs> It may not quite work, but like if you duct tape it, it'll hold. I don't know what sort of singles they have going on, but the mattress that they gave me was slightly larger than the one I had before, and my sheets didn't quite fit. And the, the person I shared the bathroom with, her mattress hung off the end of her bed. So strange. Very strange. But yeah, so what was it like last year with, with no dream team? To keep you company. No dream team. Well, this lovely young lady left me like a terrible person. Like a terrible friend. And chose to go on a placement. Um, I can talk a bit about why I chose not to go on a placement. Yeah, please do. Because uh, when I entered uni, I did want to. I was very set. I was like, I want to do a clinical placement. I want to be in a hospital. Mm. I want to be in a hospital lab. And it became apparent quite early on that the placements they offered previous to uni weren't just Surrey's they advertised them as like we have all these placement partners that you can do placements with right. um and 80% of them were not course relevant there were a lot of business not saying that you couldn't do them but they wouldn't be very bio bio specific yeah definitely and um I think only two people out of all the people on our in our cohort that went on a placement got clinical ones so it was just half the time you had to find it yourself and hospitals are quite notorious with hr and occupational health like vaccination records so unless you had a way a foot in at the hospital or like new people there a lot of hospitals were reluctant to take on someone for a year even if you offered to do it unpaid it was just a lot of admin a lot of red tape that most of the time isn't worth it for someone who's just going to stay and then leave yeah because they have to pay for that training they have to pay for the risk of having you there Mm -hmm. but of course all this didn't didn't come across my mind beforehand I was like yeah I want to do a year in a hospital Mm. well sorry promoted it so much they were like you can have a placement whatever placement you want we'll help you get there you know this is the selling point yeah so once that became apparent that it was going to be either much more difficult with no guarantee I chose not to do one because I was on a three-year course originally but I had chosen to give the idea of a placement a go and once it became a thing that it wouldn't be where I wanted it to be I didn't let it I didn't make the switch over and just continued on to final year Mm. and they really did push for people to switch as well I noticed that towards the end of second year they were really really going hard on people to do a placement yeah they did say to people to come to the advice lectures just in case you never know you might learn something you might realize that this is something you want to do like I don't know Mm. if they get any benefits from having more placement students out I guess an extra year is an extra year's worth of money yeah because you still have to pay tuition you just don't pay as much it just didn't seem worth it to do one just for the sake of doing one if it's not experience in a place that I wanted to be yeah because I do I would or throughout uni I had a part-time job in various retail areas so it was if I wasn't going to get relevant experience I still have some job experience yeah exactly like interview experience CV experience that kind of stuff because I feel like those were the only super beneficial things that I got out of it I mean obviously lab experience is great um but in terms of like the job aspect the only thing that I really got out of it was that I got to like learn what it was like to sit in an office so I feel like for a lot of people that don't have that strict never worked to a timetable like you can't leave early it's not a thing right but then obviously mine was also like I'd say minimum 50% holiday so (laughs) that was the big draw for me 
And then final year, how did you find final year? I know you have some things to say about it. Do I? I can't remember half the things I say, but it was not what I expected it to be in a ter- mm-hmm. in terms of workload. It was an easy. It was easier to balance than I found second year in that it seemed a lot more relevant the modules I was doing or finally what I needed to be doing because I did manage to sort out a week's worth of experience over the summer between year two and year three in Mm. a hospital and that one week made me realize that my degree was useless honestly before that point (laughs) um I'm not mincing my words I turned up on my first few days and they were talking about all the it was a microbiology lab I'm doing medical microbiology like you mm-hmm. and they were talking about resistance genes that you'd find in bacteria and I had no clue what they were talking about. I knew that resistance genes were a thing mm-hmm. I didn't know what they were called or what the most common one was no you you just they brush over it they don't include this detail that seems to be entry level mm. in other in just the field of and I thought choosing medical microbiology over just microbiology would give me that sort of edge yeah but I don't think we've done anything different to the microbiologist no I don't think so either I think we do we have the choice of doing more biomed modules but they can also do them I think I think our core modules are different but they can choose to do them so it's not truly distinct right and that may be why it's no longer a course option. Oh, that's true, yeah. So while I was on placement, they basically dissolved my course. But I still technically am on the course, but the course doesn't exist anymore. So that was kind of sinister. Because obviously there was nothing I could do about it while I was away. I was just like, yep, okay, this is happening. But not a lot of us chose the medical option. I think there was... When we entered, it was the seven of us, maybe? Maybe. And at graduation, I think it was five of us. I mean, we did have the ceremony with the rest of the biosciences, but only I think only five of us graduated with the medical microbiology degree class. Interesting. Yeah, I think there's maybe two of us this year. Right. I can recall. But even then, I don't know if there are others that just didn't go to the tutorials or whatever. Yes, well, there was somebody random that we saw <laughs> at graduation that I'd never seen before in my life. Wow. The best way to make friends. <laughs> Supposed um, med micro, but yeah. And so going into final year, I was a bit like, oh, wasted all these years and not doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. And not that there would have been a different course that would I would have chosen, even if I no. could go back and choose again. There's not a different course that I would I, have chosen. I agree. I think I would have definitely followed the same route, even if, yeah, even if I'd had the, the foresight and the knowledge of what I was going to experience, I still would have done the same. So when final year came along, I had, we get to choose some optional modules, but they made us choose them quite soon into mm. the end of second year so we had our final exams and then we had like a week whereas usually you get a few maybe a month I can't remember I just remember this being extremely short and I was at an uncle's house visiting their newborn baby <laughs> and I was just eating dinner I was like I need to choose my modules for next year oh my god <laughs> I had thought about them but it was only until then that I realized I don't know if it's if there's no space you just get lumped into what they expect you to choose but mm-hmm. I did decide on choosing an animal module because it said there was no prerequisites and I thought it would broaden my knowledge a bit and on paper it did sound like it would be very complementary to what I would be doing anyway. Mm, it was meant to be very disease heavy. Yes it was 50% bacteria, bacterial diseases in animals, other 50% viral with a bit of parasitology, which I'd not done much of any mm. in the first few years, and their implications on public health. So it wasn't exclusively of, well, it was advertised as not exclusively of like veterinary concerns. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, final year came round. I'd struggled to find a room off campus 
I'm not sure why. Like, I, I do remember actively looking. Mm. I think I kept getting let down or people weren't replying. Yeah, didn't you talk to some people? You met... I, I did. I went to all these housemate interviews that people have. And yeah. A group of people seemed very interested and then they just never got back to me. And it was, um like, two, two-ish weeks before moving or start of semester. I said to myself, I'll, I would commute until I find a room. I'm not going to rush into a room I don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's never been me. And then the uni advertised that they had a few rooms left over and to email them to see what they had. And I was like, oh, I'm still looking for a room, preferably on campus. And at this rate, my budget was, because first year I did pay for ensuite. I'd rather not do it again, but I could afford it. And especially if it was mm-hmm. on campus. I would be willing to do it and I told them B, C or D and then they said that they had some rooms available in Stag Hill Court where you were in first year and are now mm-hmm. and within the next day I had secured a room I was on the very in the very last house <laughs> so I was very close to town very close to my part-time job well not very mm-hmm. close but closer close enough as close as you can pretty much get if you're living on campus and yeah, so that was quite nice. And everyone in the house bar, some upstairs were continuing students. So it was a bit bit more toned down. Yeah, I've noticed that actually, because obviously, like Susie said, I'm living on Stag Hill again this year. Um, I'm with all final years and master's students. And it's been very chill, like very, very chill. Like nobody really goes out clubbing like we did in first year. It was so rowdy in first year very rowdy all days of the week every day of the week which was so fun and i wouldn't change it but to come back and then be like okay we're all pretty serious now about getting our degree finished and all that it's kind of nice to have that sort of relaxation not well not relaxation but like you don't have to come home and then clean up all the spilled alcohol and stuff in your kitchen which is nice don't have to move any unlabeled open bottles of nondescript fluids <laughs> which makes it sound horrible and it was <laughs> you know what though i think my least favorite thing was waking up to puke in any of the bathrooms i think that was my least favorite did that ever happen to you that never happened well i guess in yeah. first year i had my own bathroom so that never happened to me it happened it happened to me it was it was not good <laughs> yeah. i've heard puking but i've never had to witness it or see it Oh, I've had to help. I've had to, like, hold people up while they're puking because they're so drunk they can spit up. I'd never want to re-experience that ever again. I was going to say, that's not my problem, but it's been done before. (laughs) (laughs) Your final year, obviously, I am doing the same modules as you by chance. um, Because you you refused to give me any help, support or guidance. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you did when I begged, but for the most part you were like, no, you've got well, to do Well, no, I did spend the whole year complaining to you about all of my modules, so I would have thought no, I wouldn't no. need to give you any advice. That's true, but, you know, there's a difference between you complaining and you actually giving critical feedback. My complaining is always constructive critical feedback. My constructive critical feedback is that that is false. <laughs> Um, but I wanted you to talk a little bit about your dissertation and then how your dissertation kind of kind of got you to where you are now so um, post this one week's experience in the hospital that opened my eyes to the real world labs I decided that I'd aim for a dissertation that would at least come close to that or give me you know a step in the right direction that would give me a bit of an edge when it came mm-hmm. to job applications. Yeah. Because um, I had planned on applying for a, a master's. And we had an op- we had to choose eight dissertation options. And they weren't in preference order. I don't know if that changed for you guys. Um, no, I think we, we, I think we had to do top five. But they weren't in any particular order. Yeah, so we had to choose eight. And I only wanted one of those. So I chose one that I wanted and luckily there was a lecturer who I wouldn't have minded any of their projects 
but they luckily had five different project titles, so that filled up quite a bit of space. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what other two I put on there, but they're also lab-based microbiology. And I just hoped and prayed for getting the one I want. And fortunately, I did. I was the only student on that project, and it was with an external uh, lecturer who's a working professional, is a working mm-hmm. professional, external lecture, lecturer. And it was about carbapenem resistance genes, so a class of resistance genes that some bacteria have that makes them very drug resistant. It's mm-hmm. a, a part of the penicillins, but it has an, like, an extra structure that makes it even harder for certain classes of antibiotics, the carbapenems, to act against them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is it. Resistance genes, um, some molecular microbiology, PCR, which I was very interested in. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the future of diagnostics. And I thought this is exactly what I want to be doing. And I emailed as soon as I got the notification that I got which one I wanted. I emailed my future supervisor. I was like, yeah, let's set up a meeting. Let's get this started. And in that first meeting, it still still sounded like everything I wanted. I was going to get the chance to test some assays that they would give me against see whether they could identify these resistant genes in in plasmids of certain bacteria Mm -hmm. and then use that to do like a sort of mock diagnosis of clinical samples and I was like this is this could not get any better like everything I heard (laughs) kept sounding better and better and better and so I was spending a lot of time in the labs like lab-based projects are very intense Mm. because you have to do a lot of your own time management the labs open I think from nine to five Mm-hmm. And they won't budge on that. Like maybe if you have something running, you can leave it running over the overnight, but they don't want you in there any longer than you have to be. And I had to squeeze this around lectures. First semester lectures were quite busy for me. So I had to very, very, be very strict with myself about mm-hmm. when I had time to be in the labs because I could set up, get it running. And then I had to come back and take it off of the cycler, make a gel, put it in the gel and then put it, on the for electrophoresis for like another hour and a half and then come back and visualize it save everything clean up and leave so it was it was a mostly all-day thing right and before christmas it was just setting up the controls making sure i knew what i was doing you had to go through all the training to be able to use the project labs and all the project lab stuff those they were so useful they were so helpful and I'm very grateful that they changed the old labs that we had into that space just for yeah. final year projects. Because I don't know where they would have done them before. I guess everyone would have just been on top of each other. Because mm. they have some labs upstairs, but I think it's a lot for, more for master's students and lecturers to do their microbiology research and whatever they do up there. Right. And they don't like students being up there for like prolonged unsupervised periods of time whereas this project lab it had its own lab manager own lab techs they'll be there to help you know where all the resources are how to order Mm. things it was just it was just nice to have that all in one place although not so great when you're doing a very sensitive molecular based project because it got to a point where my controls were working before christmas and i was like you know what i've got nice start to my dissertation go on my Christmas break prepare for my exams and then come back and start again and nothing worked after that point everything just stopped working mm-hmm. I got no amplification changed my primers audited me master mix and at this point I I was using a very expensive kit mm. and um, the stu- I don't know what the budget per student was but I assume it wasn't enough to warrant this kit again and there was a bit of a back and forth but of course when something goes wrong the idea is just to start afresh but I changed one thing at a time primers plasmids kit started using filter tips instead of standard tips working in three different sections of the room and it just just wouldn't work which was odd because most of the time when PCR goes wrong you get unspecific amplification you don't get zero amplification at all but my supervisor he was very supportive he said oh you've done everything very methodically you've changed one thing at a time but and as long as you can explain why you changed that and why you think it would have worked even if it didn't 
then that's fine. And I think that really helped me because I was, I remember worrying all the time. I'm not going to have any data. My, right. I have a lab based project. I need data to write up my project. Right. And um, so I ended up with no usable data in the sense of being able to present what my aims were, being able to prove that the assays I was given for a, a different type of PCR for real time would work in conventional PCR. Mm. And it ended up me writing my dissertation about the limitations of PCR and how this could reflect on real world situations in areas where they don't have as much lab equipment. They don't have the option to have a clean room or just start afresh. So it ended up all right. I ended up getting a two, a high two one, which mm-hmm. I was very shocked by because I did have a breakdown mid writing it, where I just wasn't happy with it. I thought it wasn't good enough because I didn't have any data. I thought it made me a bad scientist, and yeah, that was it. Was a real struggle for me to actually get over that mm. because partway through we have the seminar where you present what you have so far, and if I'd presented in my confident control stage and said what I was planning to do ahead. But I think because I was at a point where I knew I was running out of time to be in the labs, I knew I was running out of time to find a potential fix, my presentation sounded very like, negative. Mm. I know that shouldn't have been an issue, but it really got to me. And in the end, yeah, it did. It took me a while to finally get a hold of... And I fully, I didn't fully understand what I was doing until midway through writing it up, finally. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I ended up being, looking back, I was really proud of what I managed to do with what I had. It was hard getting to that point. Right. And then I did keep in contact with my supervisor uh, over email. His final exams came and went and I got an email from him saying, how are you doing? Send me your CV. And I assumed he you know, was being nice, would check it over for me, give me some pointers, because he, he's always been like that. He's very, uh, I don't know how to say it, just very supportive, involved. Yeah, very supportive, mm. very helpful. And so I sent it off, not really thinking about it, because I always had one, I've always made one. Mm. It's just always been there, and I just added a bit of my, my pre- I added my predicted grade and the modules I was doing in the final year. Mm-hmm that was about it and I didn't think think much of it a few days later he goes oh my boss wants to meet you I was like ah, okay cool and that's he phrased it so yeah my boss wants to meet you I'm not like oh I've put we have a job going put you forward for a job yeah I've put you in <laughs> my boss wants to meet you. it was just my boss wants to meet you I was like oh that's cool because throughout my project he did say he wanted me to see the labs at, at his workplace because they mm. were new recently refurbished this brilliant piece it was just made for pcr there was a negative room where you set up your samples and there was a different room for each section you know reducing all that contamination mm. every time you enter a room you have to change lab coats change your gloves and it was just such a far cry from doing everything in one room but yeah that wasn't something that sorry did <laughs> <laughs> And it made me feel less like everything going wrong was 100% me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they had a negative side and a positive side where you ran the PCRs and they had all the way up from conventional, real-time, digital, which is very expensive and not a lot of people have access to. And that mm-hmm. and that was always something I wanted to see. So I just assumed, oh, going to give me a little tour, have a little chat, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he said, what days are you free? I was like, oh... Not the 17th, because that's graduation. Not the 19th, because that's grad ball. He goes, how's the 18th? I was like, ah, oh, I, I guess. <laughs> been the week mind. before. You've got the week after. What is it? Kicked out of university accommodation after gra- after the term ends, right? Yeah, so I didn't have a room in Guildford. I was in Hampshire at the time. Mm-hmm. And so our family had a hotel room for the night of graduation on the Wednesday night and then the rest of my family went home Thursday morning I headed up to London where the lab was but in the morning he called me like I had a sense that I should be kind of formal so I was wearing like smart casual trousers uh one of those 
blouse type tops you know I didn't want to like really push it but I didn't want to turn up in jeans right good foresight good foresight right he called me in the morning he was like right so for this interview don't be don't be nervous I was like oh my goodness I'm not prepared for this like I kind of left at this point but also no <laughs> like sorry what Hit, like do you have the right person I didn't even apply for this job I just assumed because he didn't say the word interview then it wasn't an interview and well why would you why would you assume that it was I, I... I don't know. But fortunately, I dress like a middle-aged professional, so I was I was prepared. Mm, true. I did have some nails that I had to like break off on the train on the way there because I thought all oh, those don't look professional. They're a bit long in case I had to put any gloves on. Like I didn't know if I had to do any pipetting tests and stuff right. like that. Because I know in other jobs that's they like give you like a sort of skill test to check you actually know how to use a pipette which some people in our year do not yeah that, that's <laughs> true we need to get onto that too the lab that we we experienced because that is something else but yeah so you you had an interview that you weren't sure about and so his boss was in the room and this other woman who had, who i'd met throughout my project she collabs with they work in the same place and she collabs with my supervisor quite a lot and she's now my line manager, which was quite nice. And and the interview went relatively smoothly. Like fortunately, I like I have been to a few multiple. I've been to a few interviews prior, so it wasn't like my first one. This was my first, you know, real world big adult situation going on. I had to actually sound like I knew what I was doing, and um, I think it went okay. And I got to see the labs, which were beautiful. And then I went back and. Had a grand old party at Grand Ball the next day and didn't think about it for a week. And then I didn't hear for like two weeks or so. And then I emailed Jim saying, oh, I was just wondering if you had any feedback. I haven't heard anything. And at this point, I'm excited to apply for a lot of NHS jobs. Mm. I know that generally if you don't hear anything, assume a no. Um, and he was like, oh, they, they've offered you the job. I think there's just a delay in telling you. I was like, oh, okay. Good. Cool. And then, yeah, a few days later, I get an offer and I was working, I would ended up picking up more hours at the supermarket that I worked out on and off throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I said I'd start on the 2nd of September and it was a month of, and that was a whole different issue of trying to find a room in London without actually being there. And I did end up commuting from Hampshire to London for the first month. Yeah. And I nightmare five hours of traveling every day i don't know how commuters do it because i do come from a commuter town and people do that every day for years right that was not for me and so yeah that's how i'm i'm now in the job that i'm in post end of uni and so i think between it was less than two months since graduation and starting my first graduate job right i know it's incredibly lucky and if I'd done a different project, that may not have happened. Yeah. But I'm, I'm very grateful. I wouldn't, if I could choose again, I wouldn't not choose it because I did have, I wasn't sure it wasn't in a hospital. And my whole, my whole, you know, rebirth at the start of final year was, mm-hmm. yes, clinical, hospital, labs. And yeah, it's just, I've learned quite a lot of varied skills. And like I said, with the digital PCR facility, that's something I would never have access to at this level of my career. Definitely not pre-masters, at least. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I'm very excited for the next couple of years before I decide to move on to a master's. Yeah, I'm really, really grateful for how that ended up working out, to be honest. Yeah, it's kind of a whirlwind that you don't really expect because obviously it's all well and good having a plan, but if things change, you've just got to go with it, I guess. Definitely. I think it was the confidence of knowing it was not exactly what I wanted, but that didn't mean it was a bad thing. Right. And still choosing to do it. Because, like you said, you're going to be able to learn skills that you wouldn't get anywhere else but in further education, which. It's always a good thing because they pay you to learn the skills, not the other way around. <laughs> right? It's always nice getting paid. <laughs> well, I wonder what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, 
yeah, let's take a trip down memory lane before we talk about the future. Um, first and second year, second year in particular, labs. Well, time, what a great time. Let's set the scene with newly refurbished labs. I think a whole a whole second year was just the best year. We had a great time. We lived together. Yeah. The labs were funny. Yeah. There was um Alice's experience. Alice's whole experience. <laughs> Who as outsiders we looked in on Alice's experiences and they were tragically funny. And I know she can laugh about them now. Obviously we I interviewed her about it and it's funny now, but it was actually horrendous at the time. So yeah, we've got these newly refurbished labs that can hold two hundred students, um, state of the art facilities, all this kind of stuff. I wondered if you could set the scene for the swab incident. Oh, I'm ready. I tell everyone this story. It's like the best, my most favourite lab story of all time. I just don't understand how it seems it, it guarantees happens every year. Right, which makes me wonder how they get away with doing it every year. Right. But we <laughs> we digress. So set the scene. What's right. this lab this about? This whole module, back, mm-hmm. bacteriology, was a great module. It was really giving us a look into, you know, real world microbiology. We had mm. different samples going on. We looked at urine. We looked at sewage. We looked at... Did we look at the lake water? Probably. Mm-hmm. We looked at very various different samples, and one of those was MRSA, and so they managed. To, so one of these one week we had a different pathogen every week, and this week was MRSA. Mm. MRSA colonizes a certain percentage of people's nasal cavity, back of the throat, back of the nose area, mm-hmm. and so we had some, and also it's skin. So if you go in for a surgery, you'd be scrubbed down to make sure you don't have any post-surgery infections. Mm-hmm. So we had two sets of experiment. The first set was to check how many, what percentage of students were colonised by MRSA. So mm-hmm. that included, you had a swab per person. So one per person, we were working in pairs. Mm-hmm. And that involved doing the swab outside of the lab because of whatever we were working with inside of the lab. We didn't want to, you know, mix that up. Mm-hmm. You leave the lab, get a clean swab, you swab the back of one nostril and the back of the other nostril with the same swab, but it's just yours. Mm-hmm. Put it in the little container, take it back into the lab, spread it on your plate, do a nice spread plate, close it. Don't label it because you don't have want any ethical issues. Mm-hmm. Just give it a date, MRSA, put it to one side. No, in fact, we even handed it in like instantly like you had to give them your dirty swab give them your plate that was it done dusted second experiment we had swabs from wounds so these people had either abscesses Mm -hmm. or infections of skin some of them were labeled it did say like neck swab or Mm. whatever it was it was a, a pus filled wound that was theorized to have MRSA so what we did we took out this pussy bloody mm-hmm. slightly bit stanky swab yep. from its container and did a spread plate with that and gave it a label like neck MRSA date pairs and put that away and me and Kim best lab partners to have ever lived mm-hmm. did this done dusted left the lab mm-hmm um next lecture post lab we get an email from the module organizer could the three people not one not two but could the three people who used the wrong nasal swab please contact us so there were three individual people who Mm. took the mrsa bloody pus swab put it into their nostrils and swab their plates. And the more you think about it, the worse it gets. Mm-hmm. Because there was only one of the clinical sample per partner. Mm-hmm. Did each partner use the same swab? They both put it, both put this pussy bloody swab in both their nostrils because mm-hmm. the instructions said both their nostrils. 
did they not notice that the swab was dirty and open when they went to use it? Did they not notice that they did this in the lab, not outside of the lab, like their instructions? Did they not see people leaving the lab and even hear the lecturer saying, make sure you leave the lab to do your nasal swab over and over and over again? But it just gets to the point where if somebody is willing to put a bloody and pussy swab up their nose, maybe that maybe it's just, you know, natural selection. Might not be for them. It's truly baffling to me how how they let the labs continue when things like that happen. And that's not even the only instance of like something going wrong that we've experienced. No, we had the, the person who like set fire to a paper towel because they like, passed yeah. it over the Brunson. Mm-hmm. Um spilling of various samples that are very very like contaminated with like fecal matter and yeah it, it confuses me it was quite the module to be honest and I, thing. the best thing I've ever i had. hope everyone gets to experience mm-hmm. such a module i hope nobody else i don't i hope no other year has a nasal swab story but it's just it's too good but um, how did they find out that it was three people. That's what I want to know. Right. And there were even follow-up emails like later on too, where they were like, um, if you remembered swabbing your nose with the contaminated swab, can you please just check in with us? It's like, did you not keep a hold of their name? Like, I'm so confused by the whole thing. And it's my actual, it's my favourite thing. When I talk about science, that's what I think about is people doing things like that. And it's it's the best thing ever. It's just we lived it, you know. That was we lived it. That was something that we all lived through. <laughs> we experienced that. And considering how how aggressive they were about lab protocol, wash your hands. Right. Make sure you wash your hands on. before you leave. Don't wear your lab coat in this carpeted corridor, but do wear your lab coat if the corridor isn't carpeted. And then you just get to this module, and it seems to be not quite <laughs> right. It, it was just astounding, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely probably my favourite story of all time. One that I will tell to all the boys and girls that I ever encounter who want to do microbiology. You should tell your um, maggot revival story. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. that was, I'll never forget about that. That was A-level biology. um okay I'll tell this story so in high school a level biology at my high school was I don't know my high school was strange um but there were some great I went to school with some really great people and in this class in particular we were in a normal classroom because our science classrooms were like normal classrooms but with raised benches it was like a dual purpose room and One of the experiments that we had to do that day was to um, use this piece of equipment. I can't remember what it's called. You might know, Chi-Chi. It's a piece of equipment used to, like, collect oxygen and, like, measure the volume of oxygen. Oh, those fluid manometers. Manometers, yeah. Does it have the red fluid in it and it goes past the line? Yeah, so it's kind of like a U-shape, an upside-down U-shape, and you have to, like, fill it. Or put it in the liquid and make sure it's filled and then you place the like this sort of bung i guess with the little tube in it over the thing I'm you're trying to measure the oxygen it could be i'm it i think that sounds right um and what we were doing was we were putting um maggots in these little containers and putting a bung in and measuring how much oxygen they released or produced through breathing, I assume. <laughs> do, do maggots breathe? I assume they do. So um, we were doing that, and for some reason, I think we were testing... It seems horrible, but I think we were using acid <laughs> to determine like how much oxygen the acid used versus the maggot, or something like that. How much... Yeah, how... Some kind of relationship between oxygen or carbon dioxide and this maggot and the acid so the maggot was not meant to go in the acid at all no no touching it they were sitting on a little mesh cage above the acid right and then you'd put the little bung on top and it would you know the experiment would do its thing and you'd measure the oxygen or you'd measure the gas and then you'd you know repeat and 
someone who I think very fondly of, um, <laughs> was trying to get his maggot out of the container. So it, the container contained the acid in the bottom, a little mesh screen, the maggots, and then, you know, it had like a lip to stop the maggots from falling out. And he was trying to get his maggots back into the general maggot population, because we had a huge tub of maggots and he just, you know, picked a few out and, and used them. And we wanted to return them to, uh, you know, to their, their kin. And he slowly tilted the container. And like, oh no, the maggots aren't coming out. And he kind of shook the container a little bit. Bearing in mind it has acid in the bottom, he was kind of shaking it. <laughs> and he was like, instead of picking the maggots up, because it was a bit difficult to like pick them up with the tweezers because you didn't want to like squeeze them and like hurt them. So kind of like shaking it. And he ended up tipping the acid onto the maggots. Not just the ones in the tube, but the ones in the general population too. Now, I laugh because it's so awful. <laughs> I just can't. The shock. I think it was the shock of witnessing it and the teacher witnessing it. And this poor person who did this to these maggots, he was horrified. And he likes to scooping the maggots away and like trying to get them out the acid. And eventually, this maggot was left in the tube, and it was it was dead. It had to be dead. It had to be dead because it had been, you know, attacked by this acid. And he laid it out on the on a paper towel and like rolled it around to try and get the acid off it because obviously. There wasn't anything else he could do. And for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, he decided that he would try and resuscitate this maggot. Bearing in mind, we're, what, 17, 18 years old at this point? <laughs> and he was like, you know what's a good idea? I'm going to resuscitate this maggot. And he got the tweezers and he started, like, pumping. <laughs> he was pumping the little maggot's body with the tweezers. <laughs> And the maggot wasn't moving, and we were like, to this guy, we used his name, but we were like, just, you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is too much now, we're done. And the maggot just wasn't moving, and we were just like, okay, fine, and we kind of like poked the maggot a little bit. And then, all of a sudden, the maggot started wiggling again. <laughs> He'd resuscitated, or probably not resuscitated, he'd probably traumatised this maggot, <laughs> and it was just laying still, hoping that it could just pass away in peace. <laughs> <laughs> and here it was this maggot was alive and and survived the ordeal and oh my gosh the adulation of everyone in that classroom we'd all gathered round there was like 15 of us we'd all gathered round we were like what the hell is going on this is horrifying but also we can't look away yep so a maggot was, my maggot was resuscitated in my A-level biology class. Oh, what a good story. I forget about That's that. one of my favourites. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> but there you go. That was A-level biology. I learned how to bring animals back to life. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the future. Mm-hmm. So obviously I graduate um, soon. Never. <laughs> oh, feels like. And um, I'm, my dissertation is getting submitted next week. That's been a trauma, not as traumatic as yours, but still, writing it has been a process. And obviously, I don't necessarily have a job lined up. I potentially want to do more education, and I know you also potentially want to do more education. So, I do, yes. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Well, I know going back to the whole, uh, if you can't tell already, I really really want to work in a hospital so there's a three-year master's program called the i don't know if i'm going to be creating more competition for myself by talking about this because not a lot of people know about it at um undergrad sort of level it's a three-year master's called the stp scientist training program Mm -hmm. offered by the nhs where they pay for your degree and you work for them for three years and i think it's like a 26k salary Nice. Band five, whatever band five is in the NHS at any current time, inflation. Well, they don't pay NHS workers, whatever. <laughs> and it's it has many sections. Life sciences is obviously the one I want to be in. With in they call it infection science, and you choose microbiology, but there's also immunology, 
a few others. It goes all the way through to medical physics, radiology, cardiovascular science, genetics. Like, there's a lot of options. And so this is something that I really wanted to do because it was the only way that I could... But yes, the only way that you can be a clinical scientist is by doing this course. You can mm-hmm. also go for the route of equivalency, but this is the easiest way that you can be HCPC registered. And it's just a lot of a much more smooth transition right. and a lot less evidence to provide. So I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I'll get a lot of experience. I'll be a clinical scientist because I eventually want to go on to the five-year PhD program so I can be a consultant clinical scientist and just live my best microbiology molecular diagnostic life in a hospital lab. True. So the application process is there's a lot of spaces on a lot of the other streams. I know like pharmacy has a few more spaces and even immunology I think usually has about six spaces but the year I applied in my final year there's only three microbiology places and on average there's only ever three mm-hmm. and so that means the odds of applicants to places I think it was like a one in 300 chance right. of getting a place whereas other things it's like one in 36 one in 100 so this was like the hardest one to get onto because mm-hmm. you know microbiology and infection science is the future as we can see in the as, current climate right now as we found out the hard way it's a very popular stream and there's not a lot of places mm-hmm. so firstly you have to do some online tests which i don't think are the best but it's one of the easiest ways you can cut out a large number of applications right they just you do a numerical reasoning test and a logical reasoning test so logical reasoning if anyone's ever done the uk cat like the little symbols and you have mm-hmm. to which is the most appropriate one that follows the pattern that they're asking for and you get like i don't know 75 seconds per question and they get if the more you get right the harder they get because it's meant to be standardized mm-hmm. but the test results are only compared to everyone else that's also done the test so you don't get a oh you got 12 out of 12 or you got 10 out of 12 you get you were average or you were above average or you were excellent you don't get so like which percentile you were in as opposed to your score right and same with the numerical one it could be anything from uh like currency exchange rates Mm -hmm. to dimensional maths like meters squared conversions um tax rate conversions so mm-hmm. quite a lot of information get prevent presented with in- information you have to answer the questions that they give you in the set period of time and this mm-hmm. is just to cut out the bottom 30 percent of whoever's taken those tests and then after that you submit your application well you submit the application first but they won't look at it if you're on the bottom 30 percent Right. So that means they just have less to read. Mm-hmm. And it's the usual name, date of birth, previous experience, previous employment. And then it has four very specific questions about, you know, the role, the NHS, the values of the NHS and how you fit into these things. And you only get 250 words. Mm-hmm. And so that for me was like the hardest part, right. trying to portray what I had. Because they say that anyone can apply, people in different career paths, people undergraduates people who are have always spent their time in the field like anybody can apply and so I felt rather confident coming from undergrad like yeah I can totally do this um and I did that application then after that if you get chosen they have like score cutoff points applications marked out 60 and usually the cutoff is the higher the scoring you get and usually the cutoff is about 49 48 points right So I applied for both microbiology and immunology because I knew someone who had applied previously and she said that it doesn't matter if you're strictly speaking about microbiology because they're quite interlinked. Mm. And so I followed that advice and I submitted it. And my first, my microbiology application got 36 out of 60 and I was like, oh, clearly I'm just not ready yet. But my immunology application got 46. Oh. And looking at student room forums and stuff it seems the reserve interview cutoff was 48 oh, so that made me feel quite confident about 
because I knew it was ambitious going straight in from undergrad, so that made me feel like I'm not doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on I'm on my way is how I saw it. Right. And so and then I went through a bit of a should I apply this year? Should I apply next year? Mm-hmm. Sort of thing because I didn't. I'm not quite where I want to be in the job I'm in right now, and I just know that there's a lot of things I could learn if I stay for a while. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely something I want to do in the future and it's definitely something I'm going to still look towards doing within the next three years I think yeah I mean you're smart enough for it so I mean you became friends with me in first year before first year so you must be smart enough wow <laughs> do you like that compliment because it was actually a compliment for me of course it was <laughs> you should be thanking me for being friends with me you've gone through quite a glow up and I'd like to take of the credit. Wow, 99.9% of the credit. You can take credit for these spots that I've got on my face too, if you like. No, that's all the sugar. (laughs) Honestly. (laughs) Um, So, yes, friends for four years. Is there any part of this four years that you would like to mention in relation to University of Surrey or University of Surrey Nightlife? Any instance that you would like to relive to, to close out this this podcast to relive mm-hmm. like if you had to pick one moment um does it have to be sorry specific no but oh, put putting it, me on the spot here but it could you know like you can narrow you can use sorry as a narrowing down criteria okay um well as a, like a non-educational one mm-hmm. i think will be uh, it's been about three years now, but the 15th of April, 2020, me and you went to see Uni at Six at Alexandra Palace, mm-hmm. and we queued from like 8am, and the doors were open at 7pm, and mm-hmm. I managed to convince you to do that queuing with me, because you're a great friend, and I know that's not what you do. <laughs> I'm not good at queuing, I hate it. <laughs> And Alexandra Palace is like the worst venue. It's in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get to. The sound quality isn't that great. No. But it was just such a good show. And we were laughing the whole time. We met some people whilst we were there. And we ended up, we're in a live music video as a result. That's true. And then we were rushing back for the last train back to Guildford, running through Waterloo. Mm-hmm. And if I could live that again, I would, because I enjoyed that so much. And it was just like peak you and me in second year, living our best lives. A moment that stands out for me from that night is running up that escalator and feeling uh, like I oh, was going escalator. to die. Because <laughs> there are two. You know what? That's not the worst experience we've had in Waterloo. Let's just leave that it's at not, that. It's not. Let's not lie. Waterloo is quite many memories. Many memories. Um, I think mine is when you got your... PS1, second year, and... See, it's all in second year. It is, it's all in second year. Oh, context. I think I've mentioned this before, but me and Chi-Chi lived in the same house. She lived on the top floor, I lived on the bottom floor. Don't know why we lived so far apart in this house, because we literally spent all our time in one room together. I would get out of bed, I would climb upstairs, I would lay down in Chi-Chi's bed, have my (laughs) daytime nap, and um, playing... um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone on PlayStation 1. Iconic. Truly iconic. Everyone needs to play that game at least once in their lives and be cheated by the Quidditch game. Cheated. Such a good game. Filch, have you seen the board? Are there any students around? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) The sound design of that game was well ahead of its time. Like the footsteps change if you're on the ground or if you're on grass. Mm -hmm. And like they had like a sort of crescendo effect, and all the doors made different sounds. They didn't make the same sound, but no. I mean, you know, it was it was good. It was ahead it was of its really time. Good. Graphics, you know, it was a PlayStation One. What what are you gonna do? The faces, the faces were highly realistic. Only Harry's face. Everyone else's face was just like a picture on their face. Yeah, that's what I mean. They like took a photo of the actor and they pasted it onto the three D model. <laughs> <laughs> only harry's face was like Normal. a moving functioning face <laughs> but yeah just all the movies 
when I had the flu and I laid in your bed while you did my makeup. Oh my god. Face, watching the fireworks from your room because we, d- we didn't want to go out in the cold and walk all the way down to Stoke Park. Definitely not. At Reading Festival. I don't know how I convinced you to go to Reading. No. Who knows? <laughs> Who actually knows? Because it was horrendously hot. It was swelteringly hot so first of all you i've got that delicate baby skin so she expected me this this friend of mine expected me to stand out in the heat of the day 30 degree heat all day from like 9 a.m when we woke up till like 10 p.m 9 a.m you wish you could not be in the tent past eight because the sun was baking us inside that's true and we stood around in the heat which i'm not very good at standing for long periods of time we literally we got to the barrier to see uni at six and at the end of the set i literally leaned forward to the security guard and was like excuse me sir i need to come out (laughs) because i was not about to walk all the way through this huge crowd of crushing definitely not and then i asked to follow you and the crowd wouldn't let go of my legs they like closed in around my legs and the guard was like pulling me and that's how I like pulled every muscle in my back on the first day of Reading. One of us. One of us. <laughs> I just wouldn't let go of my legs. But no, the point of me mentioning this apparently horrific time that you had mm-hmm. <laughs> was I think it was the Sunday night. We didn't watch the Sunday headliners, which is like the whole point of Reading. Sorry for you fighters, you were dead boring. Mm-hmm. But we were in the tent and we just couldn't stop laughing. Like, I fully thought we had, like, gone crazy, like, had heat exhaustion. Heat stroke. It was yeah. so bad. Like, I could not breathe. And I don't even remember. I don't even think any of us cracked a joke. We just couldn't stop laughing. Honestly. It must have and been it's, something that happened. And it was just great, you know. We hadn't seen each other for so long. We're listening to music that we both enjoy. We mm-hmm. were like cooking every day on our little camping stoves. Yeah. It was like second year, but slightly crappier. <laughs> it was like, I would say the budget version, but it was so expensive. <laughs> it was so expensive. Budget quality. We, we like to shower. We paid for camping plus. Yeah. Don't don't be fooled though. They've increased the price of camping plus since we went. Right, it was ninety pound per person, mm-hmm. and that was bring your own tent. So I had to pay ninety pound for a patch of grass, which we shared. plus the ten pound fee. It was a hundred pounds per we, person. Yeah, we shared this patch of grass, and we still both had to pay just under like or oh, probably about a hundred pounds each. And um, the showers weren't always warm. They promised warm showers. Mm-hmm. They were like. If you could transport swimming pool showers outside, that's what they were. Mm-hmm. And that's if the water was actually running, because some days there was just a drip. Don't yeah. know what was that about. We had a pampering tent, which was a shed that didn't have any <laughs> lights. No, like, how am I supposed to do my makeup without natural sunlight? Did, like, please. We had two mirrors and two hair dryers. That was it. And two straighteners, don't forget. Oh, two straighteners, which is useful to neither of us. But they... But people would unplug them to charge their phones. Mm-hmm. And they were like, don't do that. But I'm like, you're being funny. Why didn't you bring a charger with you? A battery pack. Come on, guys. What are we doing? The Come number do of it. people that didn't have a battery pack at a festival, Honestly. even though they, like, rent them. Why would you bring up? I didn't even bring a plug. No, neither did I. Why were they expecting to find a plug? Honestly. Um, and the truly su- most sufferable part was the nights were so cold. <laughs> that you didn't want your face out but yeah. Chi-Chi's sleeping bag was too small oh I, yeah and I being the good friend that I am I didn't make you cram into the tiny one honestly it was probably like sausage skin in that sleeping bag <laughs> I mean you are shorter than me <laughs> by like less than an inch which people don't seem to realise when they meet us they always think that loud. you're the tall one I I don't slouch. I just settle into my bones, okay? You slouch! <laughs> and then when I stand up straight, people are like, whoa. It is what it is, you know? Thank you for, yeah. for re- bringing that up, that, that traumatic experience. It's great. Wouldn't do it again. No. Reading, you get eight out of ten, would not go again. Eight? That's generous. I mean, the music, the lineup was great the year we went. Oh, like, the lineup was perfect. Yeah. 
for no, us to go see. Lots of standing around. Lots of standing around. Mm-hmm. Like not even standing around waiting. Like it was just standing around waiting. It wasn't even standing around watching things. It was just waiting for things to start. And you think with all the money we paid, yeah. there would it, the fairground would have been free. No, it was just a normal fairground where you had to like buy tickets. Which was a load of rubbish. But this isn't a reading review. No, this it's is not. a. I don't even know what kind of review this is, but do you have any passing words? Um, I don't know. Like, don't be afraid to realise that what you're doing maybe isn't quite right or to try and tailor your experience to what you want to do in the future because it was a lot of... Don't just have that blind hope that, oh, I'm doing a degree, therefore I'm going to get what I want. Yeah. It takes a lot to realise that. Yeah, I think, especially in science... You can't really do much with an undergrad unless you're lucky like me and get that sort of foot in the door. But Mm -hmm. I still know to progress, I'm going to need a master's degree. So don't be afraid to be like, oh, I thought my bachelor's would be enough because it seems a lot like a stepping stone. And yeah, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. But if you feel like you're not as qualified as you want to be at the end of it, it's not your fault. Yeah, that is a very good point. But it's still a good option. But yes, thank you. Thank you so much for listening, all you few few and far between listeners out there. And uh, I'll speak to you again in a few weeks. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thank you to my honoured guest, Gigi. She kindly volunteered to promote my podcast in a little soundbite which I've uploaded to my website. Please hold for .squarespace.com. Check it out.